You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. songs over <laughs> no no you need to get this through so so i can stop trying to hold back all my words okay okay <laughs> okay for this episode we're going to be talking about bob dylan highway 61 revisited in the room i have ben and charles highway 61 revisited is the sixth studio album by the american singer songwriter bob dylan it was released on august 30th 1965 by columbia records and it was produced by bob johnson but tom wilson actually produced the song like a rolling stone the genre is rock folk rock electric blues after returning home from his england tour in may of 1965 dylan was feeling exhausted and dissatisfied with his material he told journalist nate heffoff i was going to quit singing i was very drained it was very tiring having other people tell you how much they dig you if you yourself don't dig you. But that feeling would, would give way to a 20-page verse that he then rewrote as the song Like a Rolling Stone, which he recorded on June 15th and 16th. He told Hentoff that writing and recording the song washed away his dissatisfaction and restored his enthusiasm for creating music. But Dylan's new electric sound wasn't unanimously favored. At the Newport Folk Festival on July 25th, Dylan's performance was mixed in controversy. It's still unclear if the crowd booed Dylan's performance, his use of electric guitar, his short set length, or even the performance mix. But one thing is for sure, there was booing aimed directly at Dylan. After spending a month writing, Dylan started recording under the supervision of new producer Bob Johnson. The resulting album, Highway 61 Revisited, has been described as Dylan's first purely rock album, a realization of his wish to leave his old music format behind and move from his acoustic albums. Thomas Irwine of All Music says Dylan had not only changed his sound, but his persona, trading the folk troubadour for a streetwise cynical hipster. Throughout the album, he embraces drudgy, surreal imagery, which can either have a sense of menace or beauty, and the music reflects that, jumping between soothing melodies and hard, bluesy rock. 
And that is the most revolutionary thing about Highway 61 Revisited. It proved that rock and roll needn't be collegiate and tame in order to be literate, poetic, and complex. Highway 61 Revisited peaked at number three in the U.S. charts and number four in the U.K. The album was ranked number four in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, and Like Rolling Stone was listed as number one on the Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. What did we think of Highway 61 Revisited? I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually a, a, a... I've never been, before this project, I've not been a Dylan album guy. I knew Dylan songs. Uh, so this actually was my first time listen, listening to it uh, through start to finish. And I really like it. Uh, I've, got, I've got a lot of opinions. A lot of them are positive, And I'm not going to spit them all out right at the same time. But I would like to say, Bob Dylan is not a, a, a blues musician. But I consider this a blues album. uh, Why wouldn't you say he's a blues musician? He was playing a lot of blues... I think that you can play blues songs without being a blues artist. Okay. And I think that he is a... So he's always been a folk artist, you would say? Well, you know, it's hard to pin him down, but I I wouldn't call him a blues man. Would you say this is folk blues? I think that it's like a blues rock record. It's definitely folk influenced, but a lot of these songs... You know, like, if you can separate them from the Dylan treatment, mm-hmm. uh, they're pretty straightforward blues songs. Yeah, like the in- the arrangement and the instrumentation, very mm-hmm. bluesy. Right down to the title, yeah. uh, Highway 61 Revisited. Like, Highway 61, like it, it starts up in Minnesota near where he's from, and it, and it ends down in, in Dixie. And it goes through a lot of those towns that these bluesmen were from. It goes through, you know, it goes through St. Louis. It goes through, I think it goes through Memphis. It goes through, definitely goes through Clarksdale, Mississippi, where a lot of those blues dudes were from. Highway 61 is one of the two roads that makes the crossroads where Robert Johnson was said to have sold his soul to learn how to play guitar. Hmm. And then it keeps on going south through that. So I'm certain that Dylan knew this. You yeah. know, and I think it's very intentional, like making a reference to Highway 61 in an album title. It's kind of like saying, like, hey, guys, going to be playing some blues. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And he actually had to fight for the title. Um, I, I had read that he uh, originally they were like, no, you can't do it. And then he basically just went up the chain of mm. who's your boss, who's your boss, who, you know, like. <laughs> I want to speak it, to your manager. And, and eventually the they were just like. Yeah, fine. Just let him get out of my. Let him name it. Whatever. Why did they hate it so much? I don't know. I I have no idea. I mean, they want it to be called Bob Dylan plays like a Rolling Stone. Well, and also revisited is is kind of a sounds like it's a sequel to something. It's it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It is though. It's a sequel to like the '40s and '50s blues. Right. But maybe they were thinking he hasn't released a Highway 61 to begin (laughs) with. Why is he revisiting it all?
Um, this was my first um, experience with Dylan. Um, Not so, listening to this, though, right? Correct. No, okay. no, no. This is who I. This is my first Bob Dylan record that I bought. So um, I was um, at a. I think it was a Target with my friend Tyler. And I was like, man, I really want to get into Bob Dylan. So I was looking through his CDs, and I was like, well, I'll start with the greatest hits. That has everything. And he's like, no, you don't want that. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, no, no, no. Greatest hits are produced by record companies to tell you what you want to hear. You want to buy it by the album and feel what the artist is feeling. And going through that, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Which one would you recommend? He goes, uh, here. And he hands me Highway 61 Revisited. I was like, all right, cool. I went home and I listened to it and I was like, oh man, I'm really digging this. This is just great. Like, And I was really into like more rock and roll at the time, so this kind of fit into it. But I really love like now going back and when I was on the earlier episode listening to um, that first Bob Dylan album, you know, I called it Bob Dylan Light. Like, it was just him and his guitar. And this is so awesome to see him with a full band just rocking out and going, this is like blues and rock and folk, just Bob Dylan doing Bob Dylan stuff. Yeah. I like Electric Dylan. Yeah. Yeah, I like Electric Dylan, too. I, <laughs> I can't imagine that when people saw him plug in. I mean, I guess I can. That's a bunch <laughs> of fucking crazy. folkies, man. Yeah. It's like going uh, to see um, Megadeth, and they're like, what are you going to do in an acoustic show? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> like, what? That is true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, like, it, they, they were expecting something, and then Bob kind of came up and shit in their salad. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm of the opinion that this is Dylan at peak form, and I'm already a, mm-hmm. a Dylan fan. I mean, his what he's doing lyrically, mm-hmm. I mean, then it, it still blows my mind that all these albums are so close together. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. back to back, he's he's writing great lyrics, he's get, getting great players. And he's not all, he's also writing for other people. Yeah. Like, he wrote the stuff from the birds on the last episode. So, dude was just writing like a champ. I mean, was he writing those songs for them, or was he writing them for him, and they were covering them? Uh, there you go, take this. <laughs> <laughs> Pay me money. Well, they had uh, a lot of, those, those songs had been on the previous albums, but you're right. I mean, people were, he was so prolific that I felt like they could get away with um, the covers. I mean, people mm-hmm. could get away with Bob Dylan covers because at that time it was like, how many songs do you have, Dylan? I mean, yeah. we can already start covering Bob Dylan because he's already provided us with enough material mm-hmm. to, to have a back catalog. He's already passed this. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's, he's already he's he's moved re- something else. <laughs> he's reinventing something right now. He's, he's, yeah. done with, he's done with this. He doesn't want anything to do yeah. with it. Then can we talk about like a Rolling Stone? Yeah. I mean, we can. <laughs> Absolutely. I was going to say one thing, though. Th- this might be the... F- First album where the playing feels intentionally relaxed or the strumming is at different tempos on purpose, purposeful, like mm-hmm. the way it, it, it's got that relaxing it's feeling in the, in, deep the, in the pocket. Exactly. Yeah. It has that pocket. And I know these players and they are pro players mm-hmm. and this is intentional. It's not like they... They couldn't keep it their timing. I think it, I mean, it might right. be the first of this that we're experiencing. It might be the first popular record of this, but I bet you could look back and find blues records that oh, were Oh, sure. Sure. But no, I totally agree. And I, uh, and I also, I read a quote with a, a quote of uh, Mike Bloomfield, uh, the Butterfield Blues Band, who's playing guitar on this. He assumed that when Dylan asked him to be part of this project, he wanted 
Mike Mike Bloomfield, who was known for you know like the string bendy blues, like meow, like doing his like BB King stuff. So he came in, he was like doing that stuff on top of it, and <laughs> Dylan told him like, "Oh no, like I want you, <laughs> but I don't want you to like do what you do. Like I want you to." Like, not do that. <laughs> it's the most Dylan explanation ever. <laughs> and, yeah, Bloomfield talked about how it was kind of confusing. Like, why did why did you ask me to do this if you don't want me to do what I do? But, I mean, it works. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, 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 they came to an agreement. I don't know why, why Dylan asked for him if he didn't want him to do what he's known for doing. Mm-hmm. But the end result is a great record, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, great players are great players. Yeah. In the end, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, too, you'll see it with actors that somebody sees something within that person. Yeah. And they feel like they can translate, they can direct them in a, in a way that that they want. You've been with the professors and they've all liked your looks. With great lawyers, you have discussed lepers and crooks. You've been through all of F. Scott Fitzgerald's books. You're very well read, it's well known. But something is happening here and you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? It's funny you say great players are great players, and obviously I agree. Yet the most, I would arguably memorable thing that comes to mind that's played on this whole record was Happenstance, and it was by someone who wasn't even really supposed to be there and wasn't even really their instrument. Do you know this? So like a Rolling Stone, uh... There's a young session guitar player named Al Cooper, and he was friends with Tom Wilson, the, the producer of that track. And he was not there as a session musician. He was there as Wilson's guest. But uh, he brought his guitar, and he was hoping to, like, at some point, like, the session would get relaxed enough that <laughs> maybe he could sneak in there. Either people wouldn't notice or wouldn't mind. He'd be able to play on a Dylan record. He just wanted to play on a Dylan record. So at some point, uh, Tom Wilson steps out, and Al Cooper gets his guitar and goes in. And Sissy's sitting there holding his guitar, and he's immediately intimidated by Mike Bloomfield's mm-hmm. playing and puts his guitar back away and goes back into the booth. <laughs> he's like, he did, he's like, like, nah, not happening today. <laughs> and then uh, I forget who was on who was on the the Hammond, uh, the session player was, but they moved him to piano, and he he was playing. He was the part that you're hearing on piano on uh, Like a Rolling Stone. He was playing that on an organ, and Tom Wilson was like, no, "Let's hear that part on a piano." And uh, Al Cooper leans in. He's like, "I've got a cool idea for an organ part." And Tom Wilson, what I read is he scoffs and says, "You don't play organ," but he didn't say <laughs> no. <laughs> so Al Cooper goes into the studio, he sits behind the organ, and he's playing. And Tom Wilson just kind of lets it go, and I was like. We we can I don't even need to have this mic on, you know. <laughs> Just mute it later. <laughs> and so he's in there. He's like, bleep, bleep, doo, doo, doo. like the like the thing that you think of yeah. when you think of like a Rolling Stone. Uh, and Dylan comes in, into the the sound booth, 
And Tom Wilson's like, oh, dude, don't worry about my kid on the organ over there. Like, well, we can turn it off. And Neil's like, no, man, that's the song. Turn that up. I want that up front. <laughs> and that's the story of why that song sounds like that. <laughs> so, yeah, good players are good players. Also, sometimes a guitar player that's embarrassed by <laughs> his guitar abilities just sneaks in behind an organ and fucking makes the song. <laughs> You heard that here first. Yeah. If you're bad at guitar, try organ. <laughs> it's, uh, just, it's one of those. It's one of those cool things that you know you can't plan it, and yeah. then when it happens, it's really cool. Yeah. What do we think about that song's legacy? I mean, that is. I don't know if I was shocked or I, or or not that it was number one of Rolling Stone's greatest songs. Like. It's the top that, one. That was number one? Yes. Well, you know, Rolling Stones might have a slanted opinion. He name drops them <laughs> <laughs> right in the title. So I agree. I agree. It's definitely one of the best songs. But I have to say that I want to hear it from a different source. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what does spin think? What does paste think? <laughs> Uh, There's got to be a song like yeah, Spin in the title. Uh, spin me right round. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's <laughs> the number one song. <laughs> Spins way into the career of Dead or Alive. <laughs> the only, the only criticism I'm gonna I'm gonna say, just put it out there, is the harmonica is mixed high. Is it because it's going into the vocal mic? Uh, I I would imagine so. It's because it's in the vocal mic. He's gotta but, be like riding that fader, I guess. Yeah, or you have to do the do it later. Right. Um, but for me, it gets that I don't know if it's C or the E, but it, it gets right in there in your in your ear, and you know, yeah. sometimes sometimes it's totally fine. But when he hits those like high notes, it just like it gets <laughs> in the piercing, um, and it kind of takes me out of the song. That's that's my only problem. And it depends on what you're listening. If you're listening, you know, in the car, if you're listening in, in yeah. headphones, it can have a different effect. Also, it might have they it might have been up front a little bit more when I mean I don't I, I don't know what if there's a remaster that, you know, does different things for that, but it could be, you know, back in the day their speakers didn't have the as much high end, you know, like on a on a record it yeah. softened yeah. it up a That's bit. Prob- it's definitely yeah. possible. So so um, this song, Ballad of a Thin Man, just kind of got queued up in our headphones, and the first lyric, or this first like verse, is real. Like it always made me laugh. It's you walk into a room with your pencil in your hand, you see someone naked, and you say, "Who's that man?" <laughs> like, yeah, that's an accurate statement. <laughs> like walking in the air, hey, who's that guy? Why is he naked? So I, I was listening. To, I was I listened to this song a bunch of times. I I never like looked up the lyrics and followed them along. I would just like sit and like try to listen to it. I, I'm not that good at hearing lyrics. Mm-hmm. Is this song about a guy that goes to a circus? <laughs> so, this, I actually no. This, um, it's been interpreted different ways. I mean, Dylan was notorious for kind of being uh, elusive about right. what songs actually mean. But uh, I think there's probably two two different people or two different interpretations you could go with this song. One is he feels like it's people feel like it's him, so he's going around and all these people are like pushing him and saying, "Hey, how's it going?" And they're the mm. they're kind of the people who just come up to him and talk to him after a show or whatever, and he just can't have his his normal, you know, 
life anymore because it's it's become a circus. His life is the circus. Exactly. Uh, and some people believe that it's... Uh, it's a protest song, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe there's three. So <laughs> some people believe that it's another... Um, it's other people who fell into the counterculture sort of lifestyle and they you know they wanted to fit in or something and and they are they go from i don't know what you want to say but they go from place to place and people are telling them oh the revolution means this the revolution means that you know and it's like the same thing about him plugging in you know it's like no you should do it our way or you should do it our way and yeah some people attribute it to um it's like a protest song that he wrote about um it's like about the media well I don't know about that. Yeah, the Black Panthers actually <laughs> uh, responded to this song and said it was, you know, about black people because it's, you know, the the person in the song, it, like, doesn't get a break and it's rejected by society and they kind of felt that way. Hmm. But what were you going to say? Oh, that it was, um like, about the media, about how no one can understand Dylan. And yeah. so he wrote it kind of like as an ironic protest song. Yeah. That it, this guy just finding himself in weird situations. Yeah. Well, if Dylan chooses to be ambiguous on his meeting, I will exercise my right to take it as face value and think it's about a guy that goes to the circus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you A right. weird, weird circus. <laughs> the one thing I did like um, that the book mentions is... Um, you know, it says, Dylan rewrote the rule book for pop music, a hit song such as the swirling organ-drenched anthem, like a Rolling Stone, as we found out earlier from Ben, um, no longer had to adhere to the three-minute limit. Only two of the album's nine tracks are under four minutes. The mighty closing number, yeah. Desolation Row, runs for more than 11 minutes. So it was kind of cool that he's like, oh, screw pop music. I'm going to do I'm gonna do Dylan. That yeah. is true, yeah. Yeah, there's not, there's not a single-length song on this record and I guess at this point in his career, he had the clout to do that, along with the clout to call his record what he chose to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By this time, I think they were they're saying, go for it. Yeah. So, what do we think? <laughs> <laughs> Does it belong in 1001 albums you must hear before you die? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't imagine I would not, say not recommending all of this. Dylan's. Like, out of all of them, this one, by far. I think that we've covered some other albums in this project that the reason for an album being in the book was the album including a single song. And that song was strong enough that it gave the whole album a pass. And I think that if this album, if it, had, if it had been like a Rolling Stone and a bunch of filler, I think that we still would have accepted this album into the book. But it's not that. Yeah. Like that's just like that's the first chapter of like a of like a classic record, I, you know. This I, is all killer, no filler. Dylan will be back in Blonde on Blonde. I'm positive. On this. <laughs> Dude, I think he'll be back. Will he be back before them? No, Blonde on Blonde is next. Uh, Blonde on Blonde no. is the last of the 18 month uh, before he gets in a motorcycle accident and mm. has to stop. <laughs> Has to stop for like five weeks. Yeah, which is, which is like really long for Dylan. He only released three albums that year. He's like an energizer bunny. He just keeps going. Uh, all right, next time we'll be talking about the Who with my generation. Thanks, guys. Right now, I can't read too good. Don't send me no more letters. No. Oh,
shine a rose. 